thing. And so I'm excited about 2023 and the future and where we're going. How many know this, that, that Faith City really wants to be this beacon of love and light to our community? We want people from all walks of life. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, gay, straight, whatever you are. We want people to feel comfortable to come in and hear the voice of God. To see the connection that's always been there. The Apostle Paul said, in him, in who? In God, we live and move and have our being. It's such a beautiful message of the gospel. And he's speaking to Greeks who were like, Yahweh who? God who? But see, we want to be a place, because a lot of times what can happen is we have this tendency, especially as pastors, like, okay, I, I need to change what's going on in the congregation. We call it whack-a-mole preaching, right? Like, what's going on? You want to whack at that. What's going on? You want to whack at that. But I've found that, and I've learned this from you, Bishop, is that, you know, Jesus did something very interesting in his ministry. He never spoke to the sin in someone. He spoke to the son in someone. When you speak to the truth of who someone is, they begin to awaken to it. Guess what? The changes that happen. Whatever Holy Spirit needs to change in your life, he will change. And you know what? That took a lot of pressure off me as a pastor. Like, I got to change people. Listen, I don't change hearts. Holy Spirit does. Amen? And so I'm just excited to be together with you guys today. Before we release Bishop, though, this morning, I just want to receive our uh, regular morning offering. It's super simple to give. You can do so in the back. We have a bucket that you can drop it in back there. You can also go online to facecity.tv forward slash Michigan forward slash give. Super simple right there. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, if you open that up and you go to Face City, right at the bottom of that, under the notes, so for today I just left it so you can take your own notes, um, but under there there's a link you can give as well. And we just want to thank you guys so much for what you do. Oh, and I want to tell you this, uh, we raised all $500 for our sponsorship. Come on. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. I think like 500 and. 10 or $15 came in all together. So more than enough. Isn't that awesome? And so we could apply that towards uh, gifts and different things. Uh, we saw Pete and Jess brought in some more, a couple bikes to give away on top of the bikes we're giving away. And so if you haven't had a chance to sign up for the Expo March 4th and 5th, uh, we work the Kids Zone. Please do. The more people, it makes it easier. And just so you know, really what we're there to do is love people. Uh, you know, we man the stations of the inflatables and we give away candy because there's nothing better than candy and kids as a mixture. Come on. And so we have an opportunity. You know, the, the parents are going around the expo. They want to release a little bit of just relaxation. Whatever they come up, they have a place that they can sit while their kids are playing and stuff in the same uh, ox gym. And so it's really a great opportunity. So make sure you sign up for that. Also, we have so much going on, Bishop. I'll release you in a second here. Uh, next week, say next week. We have our potluck. Yeah, yeah. So you got the favorite thing that you bring, you know, that uh, we had this lady years ago. She called it super goop. Do you remember that? It was like this jello fluffy stuff. It was so awesome. If anyone knows a super goop, please bring it. But if you want to attend, that'd be great. Just go ahead and sign up. Put down what you're bringing because it helps us know that, you know, it's not just all chips and cookies. We want some real stuff too. Yeah. Bishop Jamie, bring some meat. So that's awesome. We're excited. <sighs> I don't get to preach today. You get to. But I'm excited about it. You know, we've, uh, we've known each other for several years, Bishop Jamie. And you came along at a time in my life where, 
you know, I, I, I was questioning things, things that I had learned growing up, things that I've learned through denomination and re- religion and, and, and just really starting to go, man, is this really the truth? Not the foundational things, but, but things that we would say were outside the box. And so as I was progressing through this, sometimes you can almost feel alone. And it's like Holy Spirit brought you along right at a time for me. And so, you know, Jamie's been in ministry for decades now. He's been ministering the grace and love of God. He's been really breaking down this idea of of, a father's heart. That's how God is with us. But he's also a mentor. And he's a mentor to me. And what I love about you, Jamie, is some people want to mentor you by controlling you. I've been in situations where I feel like, why am I feeling controlled right now? That's not your heart. Your heart is you run with what Holy Spirit has in you. I want to help you, not control you. And so you've always been there. You're just a phone call away, even though you live hundreds and thousands of miles, not hundreds of thousands of miles away, but you live in another state uh, of consciousness and physically. No. So, so I'm excited to introduce you, maybe for the first time for some of you, Bishop Jamie Engelhart. And I'm releasing youth and children. Something was telling me I forgot something. That's what our wives are for. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. And good morning, everyone. Man, it is so good to be back with Faith City. And look at a third of the congregation just left. So (laughs) that's not a bad thing. Thank God for the next generation. Uh, But uh, it it is always good to be back with some of our Michigan family. Of course, uh, you know, we used to only be about an hour away, and now it's about five and a half hours down in near Louisville, so uh, still getting used to some of that, but it's great to be able to get up here at least once or twice a year and be a hopefully be a blessing and be an encouragement and uh, bring greetings from my, from my family, and for those of you that have never been in a service with me or if you're visiting, uh, I'd encourage you to please come back and hear Pastor Andrew. Don't judge everything on just me today. I'm kind of the crazy uncle that comes around once a year. <laughs> it makes a bunch of noise. And really pray for her this morning. Would you do that? Because sometimes I can get like an Uzi and a machine gun, and I mean, I'll just be watching how, how, how fast she is. It's like when, whenever I go minister overseas and I have an interpreter, I call them interrupters. Uh, <laughs> It's hard sometimes to get it, to get into flow because you got to stop and you got to wait. But uh, again, it's always an honor to be here. Just just quickly back uh, at the back of the sanctuary on the table, uh, I do have some things that I take with me. I, I travel full time. This is what I've done now for going on. This is our thirty third year. My wife and I. This is our thirty third year of marriage and ministry. And we've been on the road the whole time. I led a church for a season that we started in Saginaw and uh, led that for about four and a half years and then turned that over to someone and then, uh, you know, stayed on the road the whole time. I also have a network of churches and leaders that I oversee and, and serve and are a blessing to, and that's always, uh, always an honor. Uh, but I wrote a book called Myths and Mistranslations, Unpacking 70 Misconceptions About God and the Bible. If you're a person that's just had a lot of questions about maybe things you were taught uh, growing up or things you've heard in church that didn't make a whole lot of sense to you, uh, this book for me was 50 years of questions. I grew up in the church. 
I'm a third generation preacher on one side of the family, second generation on the other. And there's a whole lot that I have not heard when it comes to church, religion, the Bible, everything else. And there's a lot of stuff that never made a lick of sense to me whatsoever when I was growing up and I was that kid that asked my parents so many questions it drove them nuts and then even when I was in Bible school I was the guy that would raise my hand and the teacher would be like oh boy you know because I'd be like listen man that don't make no sense you're gonna have to help me out a little bit better here because that that just seems a little crazy I mean I, I still remember when I was I think nine or ten years old and my dad we had a summer prophecy revival you know, so we had a guy come in and preach Sunday through Sunday. He did morning sessions and evening sessions, and he he pulled out all all of his big charts and scrolls to you know to show all the end time last day stuff. And I'm nine or ten years old, and I'm sitting in every service because I was a preacher's kid. I was made to sit in every service in a wooden pew, normally on the front row. And I I remember we got to the to the next Sunday. Then that minister left on Monday, but then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, my dad showed in the church the, the movies. There were these movies in the 70s and 80s, A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder, The Mark of the Beast, and people's heads are getting chopped off. And I'm a little freaked out, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm nine years old going, my Lord. And so Thursday, we're having, we're having dinner, and my dad looked across the table at me. He said, so, son, what did you think about all that over the last 10 days? Now, this was, this was maybe why we're called to inherit the kingdom as a little child. Maybe sometimes it's that childlike faith that we probably should focus on a whole lot more. And I said, well, Dad, kind of what I got out of it is we that prayed the right prayer, we get to go to heaven with Jesus for seven years and sip some tea and lemonade and have our party while all of our uns- unsafe friends who didn't pray the prayer are having their heads chopped off, that at the end of seven years we get to jump on a spirit horse with Jesus and come back with swords and spears and slaughter everybody else. Is that about right? My dad was like, uh, kind of. I said, I'm not interested. I mean, my little nine, 10 year old brain said, wait a minute, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, but he's going to come back like a Rambo and slaughter all of his. And by the way, I'm coming with them. No, thanks. Uh, until you understand that that's actually what all that stuff wasn't actually talking about. Uh, but there was just things like that, that I always questioned. I said, this doesn't make any sense because this doesn't look like what Jesus taught us. And is Jesus a hypocrite and a liar or did he actually believe what he taught? Or did Jesus tell us, do what I say, but not as I do? Because I don't think that's how it is. I mean, he tells us not to render evil for evil, but it seems like the way a lot of this stuff got taught, he's going to do that someday in the future. And so there's just a lot in here. Uh, it will. I'd love to tell you that it's going to give you a bunch of answers. The truth is it's probably going to ask you to cause more questions and hopefully better questions. Because how we actually grow. I actually was rebuked publicly by a pretty well-known leader of a Grace Bible school uh, who told me one day, he said, you need to stop ministering questions and you just need to minister the word. And so I took it to heart and I prayed about it. And a couple of days later, I got back to him and I said, well, I said, man, I, I hear what you're saying. But when the word showed up on the planet, uh, he was asked a little over 100 questions but he, 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 he took over 100 questions. He only gave eight answers, and, but he asked another additional 300 and some questions. So if I'm going to minister the word, then I'm going to minister questions because when the word showed up, he ministered questions. Of course, it didn't, it didn't probably go over that well. And, uh, but regardless, uh, I, I, think there's, I think when you're able to be in a church culture that you can ask questions, and that it's healthy 
to actually say, you know what, uh, you can actually question the pastor about something he taught, or you can ask questions without someone actually terrifying you and making you think like there's something wrong for asking questions. Because when I was growing up, the answer was just because I said so or because the Bible says so. And I was like, that ain't helping me. I need a little better explanation than that. And how many of you know in this generation that don't work because they'll go Google it. They don't, even, they don't even ask you anymore. Now they, they just Google it. They Bing it. I mean, you know, the Yahoo. I mean, they, they don't even ask us questions anymore. They just go look it up. The problem is that a lot of times they're finding a bunch of stuff that might be misinformation also. And, and there's something about a healthy culture that does that. And so, anyway, check out the book. There's also uh, four USBs with about 60 hours of teaching on them. I give a special price. You buy one everything. It'll be a blessing to you. Just check it out. Uh, man, I, I, I always, you know, I, I never take this lightly. Uh, you know, I honor uh, my friend. I honor your pastors. And, man, believe in them. I, I love I, I have no problem. I, I remember, uh, and of course, I, I bless my friend, uh, Pastor Tom over there. I, m- I remember when when, when, uh, when he was first talking to me about, you know, hey, is there a place anywhere in the area? Uh, you know, I said, I said, you go to, go to Fenton. Uh, I said, you will love Pastor Andrew. I said, his heart for God, his heart for people. And I said, he just kind of oozes this. He just puts you at, at peace, doesn't he? I mean, he's just, I wish I had a little more of that in me. My scratchy voice just does it. Uh, I remember at my church, we had this young man. He was a, he was a former Latin king, big gangbanger, and a big old Hispanic boy. And he came up to me one time. I was doing a series on agape. And he came up and he put his arm around me. He called me Pops. He said, Pops, man, I'm loving this series, and I'm feeling the love from you. But when it comes out of that harsh, scratchy voice, it's kind of hard. And I said, well, son, I can't do nothing about that. God gave me this voice. I wish I had one of them nice, rich, deep radio voices. I don't, but I guess it's part of my brand because... <laughs> Then I've had preachers tell me they love my voice. I'm like, whatever. I'm like, just be happy with me. But man, I I bless them. I bless their heart. And and I, I believe that you guys believe in them also, don't you? That's a good place for it. Scripture says, give honor to whom honor is due. And actually even to give double honor to those that, that preach and teach, that pour into you. And uh, I, I, I want to do something this morning just because I know, uh, I know that, he would never do it, and I know that she would never do it, but I'm going to go on ahead and take my liberty because I believe that y'all love them and believe in them. And October every year is something called Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, where people uh, appreciate what their pastor has been to them and spoken to their life and everything else. And uh, I, have a, I have a wonderful thing that y'all can, can be a part of because this year, at the end of October, every year I, I do something called a leader summit uh, for pastors that are in relationship with us. And uh, every year we normally do that down near the Louisville area, but this year we're doing it on the island of Aruba. Aruba, Bahama, come on pretty mom. Uh, we try to do it about every three to four years because there's nothing more relaxing than sitting under a palm tree with a 25-mile-an-hour breeze, sipping a pina colada and, and virgin for you religious people. Uh, <laughs> there's just something incredibly refreshing to that, but there's something that happens with recreation, and we many times as leaders, the thing we're worst at is taking times for recreation 
because we're so busy focused on doing everything in ministry. But the word recreation comes from the word recreate. That, that when, when you want your leader to be creative and have kind of recreative ideas and be able to help move things along, help them at times also in forms of recreation and, re, and releasing them. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not, I'm not willing to do because, uh, you know, I, I, I would never come in and, and I'm not going to receive an offering this morning uh, for this, but... Uh, over the next six months, and, and how many of you know most of you are about to get a tax return? Uh, that a lot of times is a little bit extra money. Above your normal giving, and this is all it would take, if 40 to 50 of you over the next six months would commit over all of your other giving to give anywhere from 50 to $200 or more and just put in a Ruba trip for Pastor uh, Andy and Kristen. And we want to bless them because how many of you know these guys are like y'all? They're bivocational. They work full time uh, and, and sometimes two and three jobs and, and, and hustling out there just to make their bills. And they don't ask anything from y'all. Someone please say amen. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, they pour their life. They not only work like you do full time, but then they take care of you too. Listen, and you have no idea the stress at times that that has to go with or dealing with their own issues. And then everyone else is giving them the problems on top of it. And I'm telling you, it's a huge responsibility. But there's also times where, where a lot of times they don't, we don't take time just for ourselves and to be able to help send them. And uh, we're going to be meeting in Aruba. Uh, it's actually at a Marriott. We have an incredible price, but some of you might have some Marriott points. Some of you might have, uh, you know, might actually have a timeshare, or you might know someone that does, and you can actually say, hey, you know what? We can, we can give you that for four days or five days or for a week. Or maybe some of you might have some air miles. Maybe you do a lot of flying, and you could be a part of helping with their ticket. It might not even actually be giving money but it could be something else. But um, again, I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not going to do. And this is, uh, this is the, the, the first $50 that I want to give towards it because uh, I believe in them. I want them to come and enjoy. Because let me tell you, I, I call, every time we do these trips, I call it the best of both sons. You get S-U-N during the day, S-O-N at night. Hallelujah. You just, you come back relaxed, refreshed. And I learned a long time ago that what you help make happen for someone else, it might happen for you. And you're like, well, I'd like to go to an island. Well, why don't you help send someone else? Because whatever you sow, you reap. All right, you, you help some, someone else, it might shock you. You might all of a sudden just win a trip to the Bahamas or, you know, to, to Kirks and Tacos or, or somebody. And uh, we love Aruba just because we actually have a church connected to us on the island also. Uh, and and gone there now for years. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know who you need to give that to. I'm going to give this to you because I know you don't put it in your pocket. It goes uh, in the house. But I, I, I want to encourage you guys over the next, over the, over the next few months, uh, just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And, and a few of you in here that are leaders, uh, you heard this. Now take it under your wing and make sure to keep it in front of the body and, uh, and just be a blessing to them. Is that all right? Come on, we need a bigger amen. Is that all right? I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing to, get, to give honor without worship. Sometimes teaching on honor in the past uh, turned into all kinds of man worship, and you all know that's not their heart. Uh, they are, and, and, and I say this, my, my dad has said this for years, and I say this with all honor and respect, but uh, Pastor Andy, they're as common as dirt. Hallelujah. 
And that's not a bad thing. That's, what's that saying is, you know what, they're just like us. And, and that doesn't mean that they don't have uncommon, beautiful things about them. But, but I, I love their hearts. And there's something that we all can do to kick in uh, to be a part of that. So, all right. Well, take your Bibles, if you would. Turn with me to Psalm 115. Let me get to my assignment for today, Psalm 115. And I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 of Psalm 115. Psalm 115. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth, he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I I, I want to talk about something today that I I believe is extremely important. And those of you that have have heard me, especially over the last two or three years, because over the last two or three years, I've been here several times. Uh, And anybody that follows us on social media or YouTube or anything, I've been over probably the last decade or a little bit more, the Holy Spirit gave me a, a quick little instruction now 10 to almost 12 years ago. And he said this. Everywhere you go, unless it's some kind of apostolic function like ordaining somebody or something like that, he said, I want you to do two things. Number one, remove all fear-based theology because fear and love cannot coexist. Perfect love removes all fear. The idea of being terrified of God is actually not a gospel uh, thing. Matter of fact, the only thing you see in the New Testament that talks about the fear of the Lord is found in the book of Hebrews, and it's called the spirit of the fear of the Lord, which is talking about the Holy Spirit, and that's talking about awe and honor. It's it's not talking about being terrified of, because you cannot be intimate with someone that you are terrified of. It's absolutely impossible. If a child is terrified of their parent, they're, they're never going to be able to fully trust that parent or, or actually feel like they can be intimate with them. A wife that doesn't feel safe with her husband is not, is not going to be an individual that's going to feel uh, like they can really truly be intimate and they can be open and honest with them because they're constantly terrified. And it's sad, but a lot of people have lived their lives with fathers that were like that or mothers that were like that. And then sometimes then married people that were like that. And so then that reflects many times also on our view of God because we'll read a few verses predominantly out of the Old Testament without knowing how to really interpret it. And, and we'll, we'll see things like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, and, and which has been my, one of my dad's favorite verses for years. And I love to tell my dad, I said, well, the fear of the Lord may have been the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the middle and it's not the end. Because fear might bring people to God, but fear can't keep you and fear can't complete you because perfect love removes all fear. But then the second thing is that I want you to bring... I want you to shift the mindset of the church, not only remove fear-based theology, but repaint the Father to the church. In other words, let people know that the Father is exactly like Jesus. He's not this terrifying individual. And if we're honest, you know, I grew up in the church, and Jesus was always cool with me. Jesus was like the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right with me. Me and Jesus were cool, but his daddy was a little bit terrifying. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, his daddy kind of seemed a little bipolar. His daddy had issues, uh, you know, and, and I, I was, you know, it seemed like he was ticked off more than he was in a good mood. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus is cool. I'm not sure about his dad. But then Jesus showed up and he said, if you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father because Jesus did not come to change the Father's mind about us. That was Augustine and John Calvin's ideas, but instead Jesus came to change our mind about the Father. I think one of the number one things that we need to begin to also shift in our thinking is this idea that God is in control. It's it's something we just... We tend to say quite a bit when we don't know what to say to someone. Like someone will come to us and they'll say, well, you know, my mom just got diagnosed with cancer. And and, and we don't know what to say. So a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, God is in control. And I'm always like, in control of what? I mean, he's in control of that cancer. So did God give him the cancer? I mean, did I mean, if God's in control of everything that goes on on the earth then I'm just here to tell you right now, I don't want nothing to do with him because that means he's okay with the sex slave trade. He's okay with cancer. He, 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 he's okay with poverty. He's, he's okay with children starving. I mean, really? I mean, God's in control of all of that? I mean, here, two and a half years ago, uh, we had a, a windstorm that came through down uh, where we live, and I had some shingles blown off my roof. And... The insurance adjuster came out. He said, yeah. He said, you know, we can get you a new roof. And, I mean, I was grateful for it. We didn't need a new roof. It was, we probably would have needed it in about eight years. And, I mean, I was grateful for a new roof. I mean, it didn't cost me much at all. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. But I didn't say, whoo, God gave me a new roof because God sent a wind and blew some shingles off my roof. But the adjuster did. The adjuster wrote it down as an act of God. And I'm like, God? I was like, God didn't have nothing to do with that wind. Matter of fact, when God showed up in Christ, he was normally rebuking winds and waves and storms, not sending them. But you see, our wrong ideas about God in the church world has also then given those ideas to the world around us, and they think things about God that aren't even true because we think things about God that aren't even true because we just tend to throw our little cliches out there. Well, you know, God is in control. And normally what we're saying is this. We're trusting that God is working all things together for our good. We, we know what we mean, but what we mean and what we say doesn't always line up because when someone who doesn't know anything about God, hears you say God is in control, they're like, well, man, he's a monster. Because if he's in control of all of this, see, the Lord had to show me this several years ago because I, I, I own a home and I own about an acre and a half lot. I'm, 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 I'm the sovereign over that lot. I'm the Lord of that lot. I'm the owner of it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that is within it. God is completely sovereign, but just because someone is sovereign doesn't mean they're in control because I can't control what the squirrels do on my property. I can't control the kids that like to cut through and jump over the little, the, the little creek that's, that's in, the, in, the, in our backyard and, and they want to play back there. I can't control what my two granddaughters who live next door who are constantly coming over to my yard and doing what they're getting into. I can't control everything that's going on on my property. It's my property, but I'm not in control. The idea that everything is the Lord's and he's in control. I mean, I grew up hearing preachers actually preach sermons saying things like this. We want God to possess us. And I'm like, wait a minute. Demons possess. God don't possess. God fills. God doesn't make you do stuff. God leads us to do stuff. God's not a control freak. Someone say amen to that. Just, 
But, but I'm telling you, the way, the way a lot of times God is presented to people is that he's the puppet master in the sky, and everything that has ever happened to you has been his breathed will and his life because he knows the ending from the beginning, and so he predetermined and predestined everything that happened in your life. So when you were molested, I guess it was God that was the one that was in charge of that and control, or when you were harmed, and there's people that literally teach that. Everything that happened to you, it's all been God's will for you. It's like, what? Then why would I want anything to do with him at all? Because I've been through some stuff, and if he was okay with that, he ain't my daddy. Because I know as a parent, anything I could do to be able to help my child not go through something, I'm going to do everything I can. But I also know I can only do so much because when my kids get to a certain age, I have to let them make their own choices because I can't. I can't control them. God is not a control freak. And I read this passage to you for a reason because the psalmist tells us the heavens are the Lord's, but earth has he given to man. See, I, I, I think a lot of times, and depending on how you grew up and, and, and kind of what eschatology you were taught and things like that, is we get this idea that we're waiting for God to show up and fix everything. I mean, aren't we, let's be honest, most of us were taught that Jesus is going to come someday, and I believe that he is going to physically return, and there's people that believe different things, and that's cool, and, and you know, I've got friends that, that believe differently, but, but, but they believe that he's going to show up, and when he shows up, he's just going to, you know, like bewitched, Little Tabitha, you know, or he's going to twinkle his nose and just everything is fixed. That's what the Jews thought. The Jews thought when their Messiah would come, he was going to literally fix everything on the earth. He was going to put them up as the rulers of the earth and everyone else was going to serve them and it was going to turn into this utopia and that's what the Messiah was going to do. That's why they didn't recognize Jesus because what he was setting up was a spiritual kingdom, not a natural one. He said, my kingdom is not of or from this, this world. And so... Jesus said things like this. He said, it's better for you that I not physically be here. I mean, I want you to just think that one through for just a moment. Jesus told his own disciples, it's actually better for you that I not physically be on the earth. But yet most of us are waiting for him to physically be here to fix everything. Y'all don't want to help me at all. Are you getting nervous already? You know I stretch you every time I come, right? Listen, we're, we're waiting for him to show up to fix everything, but he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. In other words, I'm the comforter, but I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he actually calls him, I'm going to send you a paraclete, is the Greek word, and it means helper. In other words, you got yourself into this mess. I came to fix it, and then how the earth is going to be transformed is it's going to be a co-laboring between you and the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to help you fix it. But you see, the truth is most of the church don't want to hear that because that means we have some responsibility. I just want Jesus to magically and sovereignly just show up and just fix everything. I mean, what, 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 do, you mean I, what do you mean I have a part of this? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you mean that God wants to actually use me as an agent of change? You mean, you mean God actually wants to use my hands and my feet? He wants to love through me and touch through me? He wants me to be his body on the earth? What a shocker. I remember 
I was about 25 years old. I was getting ready to preach a, a week of meetings. I think I was in Texas or Oklahoma. And, and I got up to pray a prayer that I always used to pray. Because I'd heard other preachers pray it. You know, when you're young, most of the time you're regurgitating. It's your star. And I got up and I said, oh God, in this sermon tonight, all of you and none of me. I mean, it sounds real spiritual. And the moment I said it, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me. He said, well, nothing getting said tonight. Literally shook me to my core. I was like, Whoa. I turned to my wife who was at the piano. I said, sing a song. I actually had to sit down for a minute. The Holy Spirit said to me, he said, listen, uh, he said, I'm your helper. I'm not the doer. All right, you're going to be the one sweating, not me. It's going to be your hands praying for people. It's going to be your heart of compassion that I flow through. I'm not the doer. I'm the helper. I'm here to help you do what I put you on the planet to do and accomplish. I've, if if you want that stuff in your county fixed, guess who's carrying the answers? Sitting in this room. See, people say this to me all the time, especially get it when I get around college students. Well, if God is good and God is love, then why all this mess in the world? And why don't God do something about it? And I smile and I, and I give them the... The classic Billy Graham answer, because Billy Graham had a great answer for it, and he said, well, God's asking you the same thing. You going to do something about it? You, you see, uh, now let me, help me, Jesus. I'm, I'm full. I got a lot in me, so we, I got to stay focused. To understand this, you also got to go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In Genesis, it tells us this, that God created man. He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth. Notice God didn't say let us make man and let us have dominion. He said let us make man and let them, the heavens of the Lord's, but earth have I given a man. And so when God decreed that, and you got to understand something, to a king, to a lord, to a sovereign, when he makes a declaration, it becomes a law even to himself. I remember, I remember watching probably one of my favorite movies uh, of all time was the was the, the the King Arthur with with Richard Gere as Lancelot, and and there was no better King Arthur than Sean Connery. I, maybe it's just his accent. I don't know, but but anyway, I mean, I, I just I loved that show. That one was incredible. I loved it because it actually showed the Knights of the Round Table, and in the middle of the table there was an etching, and it said, "In serving one another, we are free." I, I never forgot that. I thought that was beautiful, and that he did a round table so that there was no head at the table. He was saying, "Listen, we are all in this together. This is community." This is fellowship. Yes, there's a king, but the king also chooses to have others around him that he releases authority to. But when Guinevere did what she did with Lancelot, uh, the king had to, had to, even though it broke his heart, when he made it a law, if you may, or a rule, it became also that same thing to him. And so when God said, let us make man, but let them have dominion, he gave the dominion of the earth realm to a spirit and soul wrapped in a body. And, and by doing that, he made spirits outside of a body having to still need a body to do any type of function and rule. That's why through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come 
upon people, even, even when it comes to demons. Listen, demons are illegal aliens. That's why when Jesus cast a legion out, what did they say? They say, well, well, don't just throw us out. Send us into those pigs over there because we're looking for a body to get into because if we don't have a body, then we can't really fully function on the earth. But then God actually made that same decree about himself. He's the ruler. He's the sovereign. But he gave the authority of this earth realm to a spirit and soul wrapped in a body. And by doing that, he limited himself. To needing to be in a body to affect the earth realm. Now, are, are y'all here? You, you go like this, go like this, or just go, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. This, this is some crazy stuff here. But now watch, th- th- this, is, this is what's so important and even so beautiful uh, uh, about this is that I, people ask me all the time, well, why did, why, did, why did Jesus need to come? You know, I mean, why... Why did he really need to come? I'm like, well, first of all, in order, when man, when Adam messed up, when Adam made the choice he did to believe a lie, it affected not only mankind, but creation. There's a reason why Paul said in Romans 8 that all of creation is groaning for the awakening of the sons of God. It affected the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom. In the garden, the lion didn't want to eat the lamb. The wolf wanted to lay down with the lamb. They didn't want to eat each other. And all of a sudden, something began to change in this earth realm that produced all kinds of chaos. And this was always God's desire. God wanted to rule the seen world by living in the unseen, by imparting himself from the unseen into the seen on the scene to transform the scenery. In other words, God's like, listen, the heavens are the Lord's. I'm going to be in the heavens, but how I'm going to rule the earth is by living in the unseen on the scene to bring transformation to the scenery. So he's like, listen, I I still, I'm needing a body. And so when Adam brought death into the world, God had to get in a body to deal with death. He couldn't just show up just as spirit and as God. He's like, listen, the only way I'm going to be able to deal with man's biggest problem, and let me say this, man's biggest problem wasn't sin. Man's biggest problem was death because God said when you eat of this tree, you'll die. And it was death that he needed to deal with. According to Hebrews chapter 2, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, so that he would free us who all of our lifetime were subjects to the fear of death. He's like, what Jesus came to do was remove from us the fear of death. You don't have to be afraid after you die. He said, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm going to take care of this death problem. So you don't have to fear death. And so Jesus shows up wrapped in flesh, the incarnation, one of the absolute most beautiful things is that God's like, listen, how I'm going to change the world. I remember, I remember when I was a little boy, when I was when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, before I could go to school, we had family devotions every morning. And I had to read an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a proverb, and a New Testament chapter every day out loud, King James. So listen, by the time I was six, I had no problem with reading. If you can read King James, you can read anything. I'm just, especially when you get into Chronicles. Lord, help us, Jesus. <laughs> Trying to pronounce some of them words. And I remember reading through the Genesis story, and and I asked my mom and dad one day, I said, Dad, um, 
how come God just didn't start over? I mean, he's God, right? I mean, I mean, he put man on the earth. He, he gave him this garden. He did everything. Man messed up. How come he just didn't start over? I mean, he's God. What, what's going on? And my dad didn't really have an answer for me. He's like, well, you know, I don't know, son, but, you know, God is sovereign. Or he's in control. He gave me some kind of answer. It took me over 30 years after that before I really realized is the truth is God did start over. He started over with a new Adam. And God came and he took on flesh. He said, I, I, I'm not going to transform the world by showing up as, as this just being of light. I'm going to transform the world by entering into your mess and entering into your suffering with you. Because he who knew no sin became sin. Actually, it's translated as sin offering so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally become one of you. And when Jesus showed up, he not only came to show us what the Father is like and what God is like. He came to show us what it's like to be a human. Because nobody really knew how to be a human until Jesus showed up. Jesus said, let me show you how humans are supposed to treat other humans. Let me show you how a human filled with the Spirit of God reacts when he's being attacked. Let me show you how a human filled with the Spirit of God responds to the sickness and disease. Let me show you how a human who's filled, because we know according to Philippians 2, and, and the Greek calls it the kenosis, that, that, that he was fully God and fully man, but he did not function as divine on the earth. He functioned as a man filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could relate fully with who we were, redeem us completely, remove death, and say to us, the works I've done shall you do, and even greater works, because you now, filled with the Holy Spirit, can do what I did. He was our example. He then, he then goes to the cross, and he's showing us what it means to bring heaven to earth, or the unseen into the scene. And the unseen can be brought into the scene by flowing through the scene on the scene. I know it's a little play with words, but it's how God works. I wish he'd just show up and do it all. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Until you realize that we're told things like this, without him you can do nothing, but then he also says uh, you can do all things. Through Christ. So without him, we can do nothing, but without us, for some reason, he chooses to do nothing. Why? Because this is a partnership. It's, it's a marriage. It's a relationship. He said, I've got to leave because if I stay here, you're going to expect me to do everything. If I stay here, you're going to wait for me to fix everything, but I've got to leave so I can send to you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit gets on the inside of you, he's going to lead you into all truth. He, by his grace, is going to empower you. He's going to be your helper. And you and he together are going to begin to see all things becoming new. You and he together are going to begin to transform the world around you. Listen, this is one thing that the church actually really understood probably for nearly the first 1,500 years. 
All of a sudden, we got around the Great Reformation in different times, and all of a sudden, and, I, and I'm not talking just Catholic and Protestant stuff. I'm just saying, especially most of the early church, they believed that our number one job on the earth was to relieve pain from others. I mean, have, have you ever noticed? You know that in America, some of the some of the, the the original Puritans and stuff that came over. Do you know that all nearly all the Ivy League schools started as seminaries? Because it was believers who believed that our job is to make a difference on the earth. And they said, we need to educate people because one of the biggest problems is ignorance. Matter of fact, have you ever noticed that most of the hospitals and systems in the world are normally like St. Mary's? St. Thomas. I mean, I mean, isn't it amazing how, how a lot of the, the, the areas of life when it comes to education, when it comes to health, it was started ultimately, originally, by the church and started by believers who believe that we're here to actually change the planet and be agents of change and actually be what Jesus called us, salt and light. But then somewhere around the 1800s, everything began to change and everybody started waiting for Jesus to come fix it all. You can actually study that in some church history. Because now we're just waiting for Jesus to magically show up and fix everything. And the whole time, um, I, I want you to think about this, all right? If, if I was, regardless of what you think about the devil being an entity, a verb, I didn't want to get into all that. I mean, we, we know there's just theological discussions about that. But if I was the devil, I would want the only entity on the planet, because I don't know if you thought of this or not, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he said something powerful. He said, all authority in heaven and in earth has now been given to me, which means he didn't have it before. He's like, listen, I as a man, I as a man conquered death. All authority now has been given to me and I give it to you. That now whatever you bind on earth is bound in whatever you loose on earth is. Are are, are y'all still with me? Listen. That lets me know something. God's not the one up there with the puppet master. He's not, he's not the one just pulling all the strings. He's not the one planning all of this stuff. Matter of fact, when a king sits, it means his kingdom and everything, everything his constituents need, they already have. Jesus tells us through Paul things like this. He's like, you've been blessed with all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Christ. He that offered up his own son, shall he not freely give you all things? He's like, man, you've got it all. It's all given to you. Now go. Beginning of the Gospels, the word go. Two-thirds of God's name is go. (laughs) In other words, he's like, listen. Now as sons and daughters of God, you have responsibility. It's, it's, It's not that God can't do stuff without you, but for some reason God chooses to help you do it. And so when people ask me, why is there still children starving? I'm like, exactly. Why are children still starving? When someone says, why is the sex slave industry 
exploding. I'm like, exactly. Why is it exploding? What, 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 what are we doing about it? Because see, normally folks are waiting for God. Well, if God would just do it. We do the same thing with revival. If God would just sovereignly send a move of God. For years, folks sat in the church buildings praying in intercession. They, they would spend $5,000 to go to a conference to teach them how to intercede. And, and the whole time, they never talked to their neighbor. Never had their neighbor over for a meal. God, send a move. And he's like, man, the moment I sent you to that city, I sent a move. Move. Go. Love. Demonstrate. You are his hands extended. We are his feet. We are his voice. And let me tell you, man, man, in 2020, the one thing the Holy Spirit spoke so clear to me, because, man, people went through months of isolation, and I said, the Holy Spirit said this. He said, the season of just preaching about me and just talking about me is in the past. I need you to now be me. I need you to be Jesus in the earth. I, I, I need you. That doesn't mean that you're God. No, what, he, what he's saying is this. Listen, it's going to be your heart. It's your hands. It's your feet. It's your voice. It's your finances. It's, 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 it's going to be things that you have made up your mind. You know what, God? I, 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 nothing I can do can earn my salvation. Nothing that I do gets me into heaven. That's not the point. It's not about works because we're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works that he preordained. In other words, he's placed something in every one of us because the point is not trying to get a bunch of people into heaven. The point is about demonstrating heaven on earth. The point is about seeing the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy manifested everywhere we go, that when we walk into a situation at work and there's turmoil, we're not the ones that, that light the fire to make it worse. We're the peacemakers because that's who the sons of God are. We walk in and we release righteousness, peace, and joy. We don't try to stir everything up to tick everybody off. I mean, a lot of Christians think that's their job. Well, I'm just going to tell it like it is. It's like, man, you're missing the whole point, man. See, the true, the true heart of Christ is he's like, listen, man, all, all this authority's been given unto me, and I'm now, I'm now releasing it to you, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you and the Holy Spirit, he's going to help you change your world. One person at a time, loving on one child at a time, Loving on your own child starts at home. He's like, listen, this, this isn't... See, I think sometimes we get these ideas. Now, we know God works all things together for our good, but that doesn't mean all the things that are going on he had anything to do with. I've gone through some crazy stuff in my life, and I realize bad things happen to good people, and it didn't have nothing to do with God. Let's be honest. If God actually did most of the stuff we blame him for, if he did take on flesh form, he wouldn't be allowed on any nation on the planet and would probably go to prison for war crimes. 
I mean, all the destruction, well, you know, God, and God's judgment, he took out that city because they were in sin. I mean, we, we get all, all the stuff God gets blamed for. It's crazy. I mean, preachers get up at funerals. I, I have a good friend of mine, and he didn't really come to Christ till he was in his 30s and was in Bible school with me. And he told me he didn't want anything to do with God from the time he was 11 until he was in his late 20s because his dad died when he was 11 and the pastor walked up and put his arm around him and said, you know, son, God is in control and Jesus needed your daddy more than you did because God took your dad. Uh, listen, God's not in the killing, stealing, and destroying business. God receives people, but God doesn't take people. Death is an enemy. Stop blaming God for the death. He's, he's, he's the one, he's not, he's not the author of it. He, he will be the finisher of it, but he's not the author of it. He's not the one that produced that. But when we get these ideas of God is in control, then we get these crazy ideas about God that's not true of him whatsoever. It was never his heart. When you're going through a difficult time, God's not the one in control of that. Listen, life just happens to everybody, but he now gave you the Holy Spirit that going through it, you can have peace in the midst of a storm. You can, as Pastor Christian had shared, count it all joy when you go through these diverse struggles and trials. Jesus even said, in this life you will have tribulation you're going to have some trouble but now you have a helper to help you through it to help you in the midst of it and then to flow through you to help others in the midst of their pain let's be honest when someone's going through a difficult situation they don't need your sermon matter of fact just, just shut up they just need you to be there with them and just, just hold them. They don't need your doctrine and your theology. When uh, Those of you that are uh, here, many of you have heard uh, Pastor John Scott. He's come here and, and preached. And, and John is not only a dear friend, but he's a son in the faith to me. And, and about 10 years ago, John's oldest son committed suicide. And for nearly nine months, I called John... Sometimes every day, sometimes every other day. The first thing I, I did with him was cry. I didn't say, well, you know, God, he's in control. He would have probably reached through the phone and choked me. His son just took his own life. And his son overcome with mental issues and stuff that caused him to do that it didn't change the love of God it didn't change that father's love but it tormented him for months uh, he, he didn't need me to preach a sermon to him he needed me to be a sermon to him he needed me to just be Jesus just just give me an ear don't, don't, don't tell me a bunch of stuff because I already know it and I don't need to hear it I just need someone to be See, the heavens are the Lord's, but earth has he given to man. Maybe, maybe if we want to see change, maybe we need to do something about it. Maybe rather than sit around and wait for God to finally finish it and do it, maybe, maybe we need to get our feet moving. Because see, listen, the work of Jesus was finished 2,000 years ago. 
but the work of the church and the kingdom was not. See, a lot of times people, people get a, a revelation of grace and they'll hear men like Joseph Prince say, it's not what you do, 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 it's what he's done, 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 but then they don't want to do, do, do anything. And, and what he's saying is true when it comes to your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do, uh, nothing you can do at all. That was all done in Christ 2,000 years ago. All you simply do is do one thing, believe. You simply receive it. But that doesn't mean you don't do anything. Matter of fact, Paul said, by the grace of God, I labored more than all the other apostles. In other words, he's like, listen, man, by grace, I worked. I tell people all the time that when I got a revelation of the grace of God and the new covenant, I don't feel like I'm doing less. I actually feel like I'm doing more. The difference is I'm not wore out anymore. I'm not working for God. I'm working with God. I'm not working for a blessing. I'm working from a position of knowing I'm already blessed. I'm not trying to earn his love. I already know that I'm loved, and there's an overflow that flows out of me because of that. The only thing that changed was the motivation. I, I know people that gave faithfully to churches for 30 years, and all of a sudden, someone told them that Malachi 3 had nothing to do with them. And all of a sudden, they're like, you mean if I don't tithe, my car won't break down? Because that's what some of us were taught. You know, it's like, you better tithe of that curse. It's going to come on you. And actually, if you really study it, the only people that tithe in the Old Testament were landowners and business owners. Uh, day workers didn't tithe because they didn't have any produce. They gave temple taxes. And most folks don't even know that. They just uh, assume that that's what everybody did. It was a total different system uh, for people that were landowners and business owners. Uh, it's just, it was their taxation system. That's how Israel functioned. But then what happens is f- people find out, you mean I don't have to do this? And then they don't give nothing. And all it did was expose your heart because that means you never wanted to give in the first place. And the only reason you were giving was not out of love because you were trying to make sure something bad didn't happen because God is in control. And the truth is, God's like, listen, I've already blessed you. I've, I've, I've given you all of this and I'm not gonna force it on you. You know, this is what I love about Jesus and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta land this plane. Are we doing all right this morning? This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus said, I do nothing with that which I see my father do. I say nothing with that which I hear my father say. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He's the Paul tells us he's the exact representation of the Godhead. Exactly who the Father is, exactly who Jesus was. And watch how Jesus led people. No control. One day he he feeds. Five, actually, is probably more like twenty to 30,000 because they only counted the men. He feeds all these people with a few loaves and a few fish, and, and he's got this massive crowd. I mean, he arrived. Woo, we're having revival. And then Jesus gets up and he says, now, if you really want to follow me, eat me. I mean, this, uh, can you imagine preaching that sermon? Now, if you really want to be a part of Faith City, eat me. You know, it's just, most of you would be like, I'm out of here. It's just like, this is a cult. You know, this, this dude wants us to drink his blood, need his body. Is he a vampire? What is going on around here? I mean, Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're just like, ah, everybody leaves. And, and watch what Jesus does. He turns to the 12. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I chose you. You didn't choose me. You're my sons and daughters. We're in covenant. You can't go anywhere. What he said to him is, are you going to leave too? 
He gave them choice. No control. And their response is, you got the words of life. Where would we even go? Why would we want to even leave you? But it's because he wasn't controlling them. Jesus was our example, and Jesus controlled no humans. Instead, he gave them the power to choose. He said, if you want to come, cool. If you don't, up to you. Because he doesn't possess us, he fills us. He doesn't make us do stuff. He leads us to do stuff. That's the beauty of the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's not the doer. So if we want something done, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I know it's almost too simple, isn't it? But that's a shock to folks that have been in church a long time. Because we're just waiting for God to show up. Fix our city, God. And he's like, what's wrong with it? Well, our education system's messed up. You going to run for the school board? Well, but there's all kinds of poverty in our city and homelessness. What are you going to do about it? Well, can you do about it? Well, maybe we can gather some people together and, 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 and we, can, we can build some places to be able to put some people in. Maybe we can go grab one of these old hotels that are empty and, and go and help a little bit. Maybe we can actually do something about it rather than sit and complain about it. We got all these people and, man, they just need to, they need to stop. They need to stop being by the side of the road and holding their signs up. They irritate me. Jesus actually seemed to think that how we treated the marginalized and treated the widows and the orphans and how we, how we treat the people that society doesn't know what to do with is actually what we think about him. He said, I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And they said, when did this happen? He said, if you've done it to the least of these and you've actually done it to me. So how we treat other people has everything to do with what we think about about him. I wonder if we in the body of Christ just got rid of the idea that God is in control and we realized he is in charge. This earth is his and everything in it and everyone in it is all his, but he doesn't control it. I remember about 20 years ago, I read a, I read a book. It was a, end times book, but it had a different perspective, but it was like this thick. And I don't remember nothing from that book. It was, it was full of too heady stuff. And I mean, I needed like a dictionary, like every, every chapter to look up words. But the one thing I read that book for is the man in the middle of the book said this. He said, why is it that no one in the body of Christ believes that Satan has to sit in a physical body on the earth on a physical throne in a physical body to be the God of this world or to rule. And again, that depends on how you view those verses. But he was making a point. He said, but most people believe that the church can't begin to fully function until Jesus shows up in a physical body and a physical throne in the earth. Wouldn't that make Satan more powerful than Jesus? Because how the satanic works is through human bodies. How the Holy Spirit works is through human bodies. So the more Holy Spirit human bodies awaken to, 
the fact that the Holy Spirit is here and he pours out his spirit on all flesh, then what will happen is more love will be demonstrated, less death will happen, less murder will happen. Guess what happens? The world changes. Because the Holy Spirit still works through bodies. Because the spirit outside of a body can only affect it so much. That's why angels even had to take on human form for people many times to even understand. So we've entertained angels unaware. Yesterday I was up in Bay City at my parents and my dad had left to do something and my mom, my mom was there by herself and I had left and we came back. My mom said, she said to my, my dad and I, she said, this real big guy just walked in the door and he's looking around and he stood and he looked at me and I said, can I help you? And he just looked at me and he smiled and he left. And then about 10 minutes later, he came back in and I said to my mom, I said, well, dear God, <laughs> some stranger just walked in the door. She said, I wasn't afraid. And I said, maybe an angel stopped on by. Just smiled at you for a minute. Let you know it's going to be okay, Darlene. Because her mom's going through all kinds of physical issues right now. I mean, who, who knows? We don't. We, we, we don't know. He said, we've entertained sometimes angels unaware. The heavens are the Lord's, but earth have I given to men. We need to stop blaming God for all the mess going on in our world and take responsibility as humans. Say, Jesus came and took care of everything. He redeemed us, healed us, delivered us. He took care of everything. And now he's placed the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to be our helper for us to now carry this light, this life, and this love everywhere that we go. And so my days of trying to blame God for stuff, that's way in the past. And I've had things happen to me where I've questioned God there's times, no doubt, I've questioned God about what was the purpose of that. Why this God and why that? But I know he's not the one doing stealing, killing, and destroying. His purpose is life and life to the full. And so let's just get out of our mindset this idea that God is the cause of all of this stuff because he's not the cause. It's not his heart. And we get most of these ideas from a couple verses in the Old Testament. There's a passage in Isaiah that says God creates evil and God creates darkness. But when you actually study it in the Hebrew, it's actually not what it's talking about. It's the word that deals with calamity and ever the stuff. God's not the cre If he's the creator of evil, again, why do you want anything to do with him? Because John made it real clear to us in 1 John 1 verse 5. He said, this is the message that we learn from Jesus. That his father is light and in him there's no darkness at all. God doesn't have a dark side. God has no darkness in him. God is nothing but light. And John said, this is what Jesus taught us about his dad. His dad is pure light. And that is revolutionary. Because now we can come together as a body and say, you know what? We can make a difference in our county. We, we, we can do something very little as, as, as love on some kids. 
give some kids some bikes that don't have anything. We, we, it might not be big stuff. It doesn't have to be, ooh, man, world changing. Sometimes it's just, just being a friend to your neighbor. T- telling that person at Myers beyond the cash register, it's going to be okay. Watching that single mother go through her coupons at Walmart and have to put a bunch of stuff aside because she can't afford it and say, it's okay, I got it. Just the simple little things of being Jesus. That's The world isn't impressed with our message. They're not impressed with our sermons. They're, they're, they don't care about any of that. They're not even impressed with our miracles. But they're impressed when they're touched, when they're loved, when they're encouraged, when they see the body being, being the body. Bow your heads, would you? Father, I, I thank you today for your amazing, radical love for us. Lord, I thank you that you truly are the sovereign Lord and you are you, you are the, the, the king of this universe. You are, you are God. It is you that has made us and not we ourselves. We are not God. We are the created. We are not the creator. But you've also given us the ability to co-create with you. You've also placed the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's our helper. And so, Lord, I don't know what your sons and daughters are going through today, but I I pray that whatever they need help with today, whether it's physical help, financial help, mental help, emotional help, that whatever your sons and daughters need, Holy Spirit, be their helper. Help them through these situations. Help them over. At times, help them out of some of those situations. You, you, You do as you will and you desire, and we just simply... Submit and yield to your goodness as we co-labor with you. And we'll thank you for that, Father. And we'll bless you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, just before I turn this to Pastor, I, I've it's been, I think, almost three years since I actually did this when it comes to like a video and showing. But I, I want to give us, before we leave, I want to give you something tangible that you can actually do to go along with what I'm talking about. Our ministry for over 20 years now, we've, we've partnered with one of my favorite nonprofits on the planet. It's called Compassion International. I know some of you in here already sponsor kids. How many of you sponsor a child in here? Several of you. Man, God bless you. It's a life-changing thing to be able to do something as simple as helping clothe, feed, and educate a child in a third-world country that literally has nothing. I mean, we we can talk all along, God, God, why do you allow that? And I think God looks at us and he's like, why do you allow it? Especially in our nation, we're, we're so blessed. I mean, man, what is called poverty in America is middle class in most third-world countries and up. I mean, we're blessed. $38 a month helps clothe, feed, educate, plus a couple doctor visits a year to a child in a third world country. And the thing I love about compassion is not over 82.5% of everything you send a month that goes directly to the child. There are over, I think, 900, nearly $900 million a year nonprofit, and they function on 17.5% overhead. That's unheard of. 
the, the, the CEO is not getting rich. The CEO is not make millions of dollars. Their focus, and they don't even have a big headquarters in Colorado Springs. Most of the people that work for them work from home, and, and, and they do stuff. They, they've been super wise with the money. I've gone overseas. I see what they do. I've been to the places that they do it, and it's transforming the lives of children all over the world. And so I, I don't know if you've ever considered this. Maybe you went to a Christian concert one time and someone got up and they said, why don't you grab a packet and sponsor a child? That's where a lot of it happens. Sometimes like K-Love Radio, they do the same thing. Depending, there's about four or five major uh, nonprofits that do this around the world. The one thing I love about Compassion is they focus towards the church because they don't want just anybody sending the money, even though they'll, they'll receive the, that money to help a child. But they want you as a sponsor to be a part of the discipleship process. They want you to write letters. They want you to encourage the children. And, and when I was in Ecuador a few years ago on a compassion trip, uh, we had people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who had been children in the program 30 years before, and they had dinner with us every night. And they were now the doctors, the lawyers, the politicians, the pastors, because someone helped educate them. Because see, in most of these countries, education is free but uniforms aren't. So most of these kids have free school, but they, the, you know, they'll be a lot of times with a single mom or the dad has died or they're being raised by grandma and there's no money to buy them the uniform. And so they can't go to school and they can't get an education because an education changes someone's life because it causes them to think in different realms. And, and they came in and they all had these big folders and it was all the letters, all their sponsors had sent over, over 10 years or 18 years and, and, and they begin to talk about it and they'd sit there and weep in front of us. I mean, I, man, it, it was a life-changing trip for me and I believed in what they did before but man, after actually going and seeing what they did overseas, I started drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm like, I'm in. I'm like, I believed in them. We, we'd sponsored kids for years because I wanted my kids to know there's kids in third world countries that don't have what they have. One year, we made sure for Christmas, our two kids got a soccer ball. I remember then kids sent us letters. They said, we're now the most popular kids in our village because nobody had a soccer ball. And we had three flat ones in the garage, two out in the driveway. And we're so blessed. And so this is just going to be a short video. At the close of the video, pastor is also going to come up and he's also going to receive an offering for our ministry. And, and I want to thank you ahead of time. This is what we. This is what I do full time. I I've lived by faith. I don't I don't I don't say I need this much money to come. This is what we've done for years. But if if you have a choice between giving me an offering or sponsoring one of them kids, uh, I'm going to defer to that because uh, that's how much I believe in it. Because I'd love to be able to say I came to Fenton, Michigan. Man, the gospel was preached. People were encouraged, and we helped get five, ten, fifteen children off poverty. That's making a difference in the world around us that we literally can be a part of rescuing a child. So could you play that video, please? And just watch this. Meet me at the table. I have the packets back there. You can see them. Thank you.
I know. Oh, there I am. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's a great program. We've been sponsoring now for, I think, seven years, six or seven years, uh, Nathan in Africa, and he just keeps growing. It's awesome. It's amazing. So go ahead and uh, definitely talk with Bishop about that. Uh, check out his materials, things like that. We also do want to receive an offering. So anything that you want to give, you can go on to the normal online outlets. You can also give in the bucket. Just make sure you put CIM, which is Connect International Ministries, or Jamie, and we'll make sure he gets every single penny. Did you guys, were you blessed today? Thank you so much. I know, yeah, amen, let's do it. I know a little longer service, but just so much there, and hopefully you can just chew on and digest that uh, through the week. Speaking of chewing and digesting, potluck this next Sunday. Make sure that you put your name on the list, whatever you're going to bring. But not only do we have potluck, we also have a special guest, Pastor Tom Shannon, is going to be sharing with us as well. So what an exciting thing. Just want to encourage you guys just to think about what you've heard today. Think about, Holy Spirit, how can I be a change just in my area of influence? It's not like you're changing the whole world, but you can change your world. Does that make sense? Awesome. We love you guys. We're praying for you, and we'll see you again next week, 10 a.m. Have a great week.